0: Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 29 is the passage that we have been studying for three Sundays now. We will be studying again this morning and then completing this study next Sunday morning so we will not be getting through the entire passage today. This is the doctrinal section of the epistle to the Colossians. And I've mentioned to you that the key phrase in this entire section is verse 18, the last part of the verse, which says that in all things he, referring to Christ, that in all things Christ might have the preeminence. The Apostle Paul wants to place Jesus Christ in his proper place. Within the context of the deity, that he is equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. In the creation, he's not a created being, he rather is the creator. And with regard to the body, he is not a member of the body, he is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. And in this passage, those are three of the main truths that come out to us about the person of Jesus Christ. The purpose of Colossians 1:15 to 29 is to settle once for all who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ accomplished. And this passage is extremely important. Now, when we left off last time, we talked about Oh, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is the reconciler of sinners to God. Now, let me just back up for a moment and remind you of the first six. I'm just going to mention them. Number one, we saw in verse 15 that Jesus Christ is the image of God. He was the exact reproduction of God, the exact image of God in this world. He was fully God. Secondly, he was the firstborn of every creature. He had priority over creation, and he is the sovereign Lord of creation. He is the creator himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in the creation of the world. The principal actor in creation is Jesus Christ. Fourth, he is the head of the church. He's not a member of the body as we are members of the body. We talked about the importance of the universal church and that sometimes we lose our understanding of that truth by focusing only upon the local church. And we need to remember there is the greater body of Christ which includes people all the way from the day of Pentecost until the last person who will live and breathe and be alive at the moment of the rapture that is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those are a part of the church. They're part of the body. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Folks, that means he is the sovereign Lord of the church. He is the one who's in control. When we want to know what to do, we should go to the word of God as the source of our authority and we should look to Jesus to lead us and to guide us into the center of his will because he's the head. Number five, he is the fullness of God. All the divine attributes of God resided in the physical human body of Jesus. He was fully God and fully man and yet... He was a a miracle in that sense. And so he's the fullness of God, verse 19. Now, when we left off last time, we were talking about him as the reconciler of sinners to God. Now, in verses 21 and 22, Paul describes the prior condition of sinners before their conversion to Christ. And he talks about their spiritual condition, and it is a very serious thing. Now, we covered this last week, but I'm going to mention it again for the benefit of those that were not here, and I want to make sure we're all on the same page as we move into the final part of this point. Colossians 1:20 20 to 22, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's the description. You were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now we looked at this verse last time all the way up until that last phrase at the bottom and we're going to pick up and talk about that today. But let me remind you what it means to be alienated from God. Literally, alienated means to be cut, to cut oneself off, to be estranged from. And it has the idea of a permanent condition. Listen, if you and I are not saved by the grace of God, we will be permanently alienated from God cut off from God. Imagine what your life would be like today as a Christian if you were cut off from God. Now that you know him, imagine. Aren't you glad that can never happen? Praise God. But they were alienated. They were cut off from God. Secondly, they were enemies. Enemies of God. Hostile in their condition. And the word is in the active sense that they were hostile toward God. Hateful by their attitudes toward God. Folks, I am shocked, honest and true, I'm shocked day by day lately as I see the kind of language that is used on the television by just the normal news people and so on taking the name of God in vain over and over and over again and the negative attitude toward God and the things of God that are being promoted in this country today, folks, There are enemies of God alive in this land today. Every person without Christ is an enemy of God. And we who are believers, we have now been brought into a relationship with God. We're children of God. But listen, we've got to be careful ourselves how we talk. We need to show people that God is so precious to us. That when they use his name in that way, it is a great grief to our hearts. Enemies of God. Actively enemies. But notice it says that you're alienated and enemies in your mind. The word mind there is in your imagination. Imagination. I just want to read a passage and and it's not I don't have a slide for it but let me just read this it just comes to mind in Romans chapter 1 in verse 18 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men what is revealed the wrath of God why he says because these men suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. We've said before, people say they're atheists, but God says they're not. He says they are willfully in unbelief. But it isn't because they don't actually believe, they willfully refuse to believe. Then he goes on to say this, listen. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We talked about that verse before. Men are without excuse because God has revealed himself through creation. And when men reject that light, they go further into the dark. And they only, not only reject the testimony of creation, they reject the testimony of the conscience. But now Listen. For since, sorry, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but listen, but became futile in their thoughts. You see how men are enemies of God in their thoughts, in their mind, in their imagination? You turn away from the light, you walk into the dark. And when you walk into the dark, you walk away from God. And the farther you get from God, the more wicked and the more evil you are. They refused to glorify God as God and instead worshipped what? The creature. They worshiped animals, they worshiped the sun, they worshiped the moon, the stars, they worshiped all kinds of things. But they were were enemies of God in their imagination. Their distorted imagination ruled their thought processes. And thinking themselves wise, they became what, the Bible says? They became fools. But how do those wicked imaginations manifest themselves? Well, they manifest themselves in wicked works. The word wicked there means pernicious, evil, malicious, hurtful works. And our country is full of them today. We shocked this last week to watch right on TV the execution of a man. He's out, and we don't know all of the details, but what we do know is that there was a certain group that said, Oh, here's one of them. And walked over with a gun and shot him in the chest and killed him. Right there on the spot. Just because he was out there standing up on one side of the political issue. And the man walks up to him and just shoots him in cold blood. So, I want to tell you, this world is full of wicked works. And that may be an extreme, but folks, I want to tell you, there are precious little ones that are killed every single day in this country. The wickedness, the wickedness of abortion. I I want to tell you something, folks. Look, I'm so thankful. One of the things that President Trump did. Was he set preachers free to be able to stand on the pulpit and say what they believe? He passed an executive law that made that pop before you could be get in trouble and the church could lose its tax exempt status and all that kind of stuff. Listen. Listen. President Trump is a man. And he has his faults. But Mr. Biden is a man too. And guess what? No shocker. He has his faults. If we're going to pick someone without faults, we got nobody to pick from. But what I want to suggest to you today is you need to think and understand what their policies are. Because they will promote those policies to get laws enacted in this country. And one of these men totally rejects abortion. And the other one says, you can have an abortion right up until the day of the birth of the child. And I want to tell you something, folks. I think that information ought to inform us as we pray about who we should vote for. Because I think that's... If, if, if there's any reason that this country will eventually fail and fall, well, because of the issue of abortion. I believe it. I really do. The judgment of God falls. That's a good reason for it, right there. And that's only one thing. There's so many other things that are now the law of the land that are totally contrary to the will of God. Now, I'm not... I don't turn this... You know I don't almost never say anything about politics but folks we're getting close to an election we are two months away from the election you know what my fear is a lot of christians are going to just sit back and stay home and i want to tell you it is your duty i believe before god to support this nation at least by going and voting your conscience i believe you ought to do that and that's between you and god and i'm not going to be god's policeman coming to follow you around make sure you do it That's not my place. I don't believe in being that ever, in any area. I don't go to your home to look what I can find to preach on next Sunday. Don't do that. I know preachers that do, but not this one. I will stand in this pulpit and I will call a spade a spade. I will call sin, sin. I'm going to call homosexuality, sin. I'm going to call... Same-sex marriage, sin, I'm going to stand and I'm going to take those stands because as a man of God, preaching the Word of God, I must stand on the Word of God no matter what it costs. And we are facing an election that I believe is going to make a tremendous difference in this country one direction or the other, and that is going to affect the future in a very serious manner. I believe that. Now, maybe you believe that the one side is better than the other side. That's between you and God, and frankly, I don't care what's going on in your heart, because that's your heart, not mine. But I want to do what's right, and I want to stand for what's right. Do I like everything that President Trump does? No, I don't like everything President Trump does. But I want to tell you something. He... When he sees something going on that he knows is wrong, there's something about him. He's, he's, he's got this, I think he really loves this country. I really do. And he may have some mixed up ways of doing some things now and again, sometimes the way he talks and some of these dumb tweets that he has sent out. But listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Ask yourself, what has he done? What has he done? And the difference in this election is that you can look at the other side, and this person on the other side has been in politics for 47 years. You need to ask yourself, what has he done? You say, I don't know. Well, find out. That's what you're supposed to do. Inform yourself. And I want to suggest to you that when you inform yourself about what he says he believes and what he plans to do, folks, it will shock you. Now, I know some, you know, and I don't like bringing politics in. But folks, listen, this is, this is a monumental time in the history of America, I believe. And this election is going to make a difference. I think about our freedoms even. I believe that our freedoms are in danger. So, I I, I beg you, I beg you not to vote one way or the other. I beg you to pray for God to show you what to do and obey Him. You can forget what Robbie Locke has to say because, quite frankly, I don't matter nothing when it comes to just my point of view. I have my point of view, you got your point of view. Some of these things. But you know what? Some of this stuff is biblical stuff. And we need to stand. We do. We need to stand even when people don't want us to stand. This country is full of wicked works. What scares me is that, do you know, that there are many evangelicals in this country today who think, oh, in some cases abortion's okay, in some cases this and that, I, it's all right. I mean, you know, they're not hurting anybody. Where are the men and women of God willing to stand on Scripture? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a few political leaders willing to do that? And there are some, by the way, there are some men and women who know Jesus Christ and are serving in the government. Thank the Lord for those voices. But I'll tell you, anyway, you know what I'm very thankful for? What it also says in this verse, after he talks about being alienated and enemies in their minds by wicked works, he says, yet now hath he reconciled. (laughs) You and I were in that terrible condition as sinners before. But he has reconciled us. How did he do it? Through the body of his flesh through death. He had to die so that you and I could be delivered from sin. We talked about that last week. And then the purpose. We just got right here when we left off. So all of that was introduction and, you know, there we go. And I got 18 minutes. We'll see how that goes. All right. The purpose. <laughs> the purpose of God's reconciliation. Why does he want to reconcile you to himself? Remember we said the reconciliation is when you have two opposing parties. There's something in between them that is causing a problem in order for the two to come back together... To make peace, something has to remove the barrier between them. And the barrier between us and God is sin. And Jesus Christ says he made peace through the blood of his cross. He made the sacrifice so that sin could be dealt with. And now God looks at us with the righteousness of Christ. And we've been brought together into relationship with God. Peace has been made between us and God. And not only do we have peace with God right now, but folks, we have a great future to look forward to. Notice what it says here. Here are the, the reasons to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Now when is he going to present us in that way? Well, not today, well unless He comes, right? I mean, positionally, I have the righteousness of Christ. But in my practice, any of you that know me, know I ain't perfect. Right? Don't say that amen too loud now. I get offended when you do that, see? But I am. I'm a sinner. But I want to tell you something. There's going to come a day when God looks at me, there won't even be a remembrance of sin. He says he wants to present us. The word literally means to place beside, to place near. It's the exact same word that appears in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. Do you know this verse well? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. What, is it? what do we do when we present our bodies, right? We come to the Lord in prayer and we say, Lord, here I am. I'm giving you control of my body. I'm presenting to you, Lord, my body. And my soul and my spirit so that I can be a living sacrifice to you that is holy and acceptable to God. And that's the most reasonable act of worship that I can perform. In the light of the cross, the very least I can do is give him everything I have and am. So even as we come to God and we present ourselves to the Lord, one day, one day, Jesus is going to present you and me to his Father in heaven. And when he does, folks, when he does, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be completely holy. Totally separated to God. See, I don't know how your week went. But I had a few moments this week when I struggled to be presented to God. Got impatient a couple of times in traffic this week. More than impatient. I didn't swear. No, I didn't, but I... I won't say I didn't want to. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> the thought came to my mind. The old devil put that thought in my head. But it wasn't just that. It was other things. Thoughts. Men, do you ever get any thoughts in your head you know you shouldn't have? Ladies, do you ever get any thoughts in your head you know you shouldn't have? Yep. I, don't mean just, I don't mean just impure ones. I, I mean mean ones. you ever think a mean thought towards somebody? I want to tell you folks, someday we won't battle that anymore. We're going to be totally separated to God. And we will be in a position free from all worldly defilement. And he's even going to fix our bodies for us. And all of you skinny people are going to be fat in heaven just so that I can be content. And all of us chubbies are going to be skinny in heaven and then we're going to get even. No, no, that's not the way that goes. Do you, you see how alienated from God I am sometimes thinking that way? No, but folks, think about it. When the Lord looks at you in heaven someday, he's not going to see any evidence of sin in you. So we're going to be holy, separated to God. We're going to be unblameable without blemish now i i I didn't have time last night i i I really late and i didn't get out of bed and uh make a thing to put up on the screen but listen to this verse listen to isaiah's description of the israelites in their sin listen to this the whole head is sick And the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot, even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Isn't that a lovely picture? You know what he said? He said, that's what you look like in your sin. But but then this passage, how's this one? This sounds better to me. This, This sounds pretty good. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify. That's the word from which we get our word holy, set us apart. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having what? Not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now I don't know about you, but putrefying sores to holy without blemish sounds like a good deal to me. We will be unblameable, no spots, no wrinkles in that day. And we will be unreprovable. Not only will we be free from the blemish, We will be free from the charge of sin as well. And I have one more verse I want to read for you that I was thinking about last night. Romans chapter 8. You know these verses. What then shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. Listen. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who in heaven someday is going to look at Robbie and say, You know what Robbie did? No one is ever going to do that. You want to know why? It says, it is God who justifies. God declared me righteous, and he took my sins away, and they're gone forever. They'll never come up again. Then he says this, who is he who condemns? Because I want to tell you, the devil still is offering his condemning voice to God against us. But his mouth is going to be shot one of these days. And it says, who can condemn us? It is Christ who died and furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He says, who can condemn us? No one, because Jesus, our lawyer, stands to defend us immediately. Praise God. Folks, listen, we're going to be unreprovable in that day. No one will be able to point the finger and say, look at what he did. Look at what she did. So I ask you. Oh, there's one more little thing here. It says we're going to be unreprovable in his sight, literally, to look down into something. And it speaks of the searching and penetrating gaze of God. Now think about this. If God looks at something, do you think he sees it? Do you think he sees everything about it? And it says when he looks at us, once we get to heaven and get transformed and ultimately changed in a new body, he's going to look at us, and with his own searching and penetrating gaze, he won't be able to see anything sinful in us. I tell you, it makes me want to go to heaven. Really does. It makes me want to go to heaven. I get so tired of my sin. You know, there is pleasure only for a season. And after the season's over, the pleasure turns to misery. And it doesn't take too long to become miserable, does it? When we get to heaven, there'll be no more temptation, there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more devil. There'll be no more world and its attractions. There'll be nothing, nothing, nothing to pull us astray. And no sinful nature. Nothing in us to respond. But forever and ever and ever and ever we will bring glory to God. Now. The last thing I want us to see and I've only got just a few minutes we're just going to get started this is the rest of the passage and there's a lot to say from verses 23 to 29 but I just want to get into it a little bit here because if you have your Bibles there verse 23 I think I put it on here yeah I did notice verse 23 the first word is the word what if if all the things I just said are true if Now, some people look at the word if and their immediate thought is that it brings into doubt or at least possible doubt the salvation of the person. And some have used this verse to say you can be saved and have all these things be true and then at some point if you don't, you know, if you do something wrong you'll lose your salvation. And then the if kicks in and then you don't get what, you know, you thought you were going to get because you've lost your salvation. I got news for you, never will happen. The word if here, and and this is an important word, notice. The Greek word E-A-N means an unfulfilled hypothetical condition, but that's not the Greek word used here. The Greek word used here is el, with the indicative form of the verb, and it means assuming something to be the case. And what he's saying is this. All of these truths are going to be true about you, assuming you continue in the faith. Why would you continue in the faith? Because you began in the faith. You can't continue until you begin, right? And what he's telling us here is that by continuing, we're demonstrating what? The reality of our salvation. And he's also saying if you don't continue, you're revealing that no matter what you have professed, the evidence is not there that your salvation is real. Not that you lost it, but that you never got it in the first place. You say, can that really happen? Can someone pray to receive the Lord and and not really get saved? Absolutely. Because number one, it isn't a prayer that saves us anyway. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That's number one. And a lot of people are depending on the magical words. And I got news for you. There are none. It's the act of faith whereby I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I turn from my sin to follow Jesus Christ, the one who died for my sins according to the scriptures and then rose again from the dead to give me new life. And when I put my trust in him and begin to follow him, you know what? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Real sheep follow and keep following they don't go three steps and then turn around and go the other direction now they may along the way halter a little bit I mean any of you ever sinned since you got saved? and you ever have a day you didn't walk close to the Lord? ever have a time when Jesus was speaking to your heart and you wouldn't listen? if you haven't we're gonna put you in a cage and charge a quarter and we're gonna get rich But I want to tell you one thing that is true of you if you're a Christian and those things happen to you. You won't be able to stay like that forever because God's going to keep after you and after you and after you. And he'll keep raising the level of discipline until you listen. And if you still will not listen, he'll say, I tell you what, I got a plan for you. You're going to die and I'm going to take you home early. Because I'm not going to let you live in this world, know me, and continue to blaspheme my name. Not going to let it happen. Thankfully, that doesn't, I don't think, happen a lot, but I'm sure it has happened. God starts with a whisper. But God knows how to speak in a normal voice, too. And God also knows how to shout. And sometimes he turns up the fire till we'll listen. But he will Bring us back. That's the thing. You see, you know what the proof of your salvation is? Not that you prayed a prayer 40 years ago. The proof of your salvation is that you're following Jesus today. I'm talking about the proof in the eyes of men. God knows from the moment you were saved that you were saved and you'd be saved forever. He knew it. But you don't know my heart. You can't see my heart. You don't know if I'm saved unless you can see evidence of salvation in me. By the way, salvation is not a declaration. Salvation is a transformation. I've said to people, as an illustration, I can look in the mirror and say, "Man, you're a good-looking fella," but it doesn't change what's in the mirror. I can declare it, but it don't make it so. But if I can look in the mirror and there's Aladdin, wow! You know the Disney guy. Anyway, all right. I was trying to think of something that was good-looking. I I couldn't. You know, I didn't want to use one of you men so that you wouldn't, you know, be, be proud or anything. So. But do you understand what I'm saying? Just saying something doesn't make it so. doesn't. But I tell you what, when somebody who's been living in sin this way, living in that, that alienated, hostile, wicked, thinking and acting life and they come to know Jesus you know what Jesus does Jesus moves in and starts cleaning house have you ever noticed that the deeper you clean the more dirt you find you could go into my living room right now and right in the middle on my rug I haven't vacuumed it in three weeks I'm all alone and I don't sit in the living room so I don't care But before next Sunday night, well, I was going to say that because we were going to have the Bible study probably at my house. But you know what? Before Thursday, guys, Bible study, I'm going, to, I'm going to vacuum my rug. But you know what I know I have to do? i got to get down on my knees and take that vacuum cleaner and i got to push it way in underneath that couch. Because you see, I can look right in the middle of the floor. And I can see stuff, but it is amazing what accumulates underneath a couch over a period of time. Have you ever noticed that? And you know what, folks? The farther you dig, the more you look, the more you're going to find. And I tell you what, if you continue in the truth, that is the proof you're a child of God because you are constantly on the move toward Christ likeness. You wouldn't want that if you weren't a true Christian, you'd want to be like the devil. And so here, he says, if you continue. And I'm going to stop, and, I, and I'm, I'm not done here because he says all of these words. You continue grounded and all of steadfast. These All these words are just like amazing and what they mean and what they imply. And I'm going to layer out next Sunday if Jesus tarries. So come on back. We're going to pick up right here next time, okay? But folks, what I want you to leave here today saying is this, and understanding is this. Because of the blood of his cross, he made peace between you and God. And one day, he's going to take you to his father and say, Father, here, let me show you what I've done. And he's going to present you holy, without blame, and without reproach, to the glory of God. And God's going to look at you and he's going to look deep. He's going to piercingly look into your life and he's not going to see anything that isn't like Jesus. That's what is ahead for you and me. If, assuming, we continue in the faith. And we will continue if we're real. Let's pray. Father. I ask that you take the word today and apply it to our lives. Help us as Christians, those who are truly saved here today, to be able to rejoice knowing, Lord, that that's our future. And even as we struggle and battle day after day after day after day with sin and the old flesh and the world and the devil, Lord, we have all of these temptations. Thank you, Lord. The day's going to come when that'll be all over because you're going to take that old nature out of us. There'll be nothing in us to respond. And in heaven, there won't be any world and there won't be any devil. There won't be any sin. There won't be any temptation. I can't help but cry with apostle John of old even so Lord Jesus come come we long for that moment when you will pierce into us and only find Christ we look forward to that moment Lord bless us and if Jesus tarries Lord bring us back next Lord's day and Lord help us to be prepared for a great blessing because there is so much yet to learn in verse 23 Oh, Lord, thank you for your word that is ever new, yet it is always the same. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life, as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand him better and the truth he's laid out for us in his word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things, for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.